Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, for all you loyal listeners, we've got Henry Shook back, CEO. Well, Henry, the last time we got together, which was uh, quite some time ago, June 24th of 2018, you were the CEO of Discover Org, and now you are still the CEO, but a lot has changed since then, and now it is Zoom Info. So welcome back on the program. How are you, my friend? I'm doing I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. I always enjoy being on this with you, David. Well, I really enjoyed uh, the story that we told the last time about how you, back at, at 23 years old, built this incredible $150 million company called Discover Org. And again, fast forward, you're no longer 23. Several years later, that was, that was quite some time ago, and the company continues to grow and grow, and then this incredible acquisition. I'd like to start with that because I think it's an interesting story of how you and the team probably one day figured out that um, this would be better together and where things are. But then I really want to get into, and I want to spend the bulk of the time on this data-driven mindset and how important data is, not only from a hygiene perspective, but where your guys' uh, expertise in is helping people really identify their ideal customer profile at scale. So let's hit that. But could you share with everybody, because I don't know how well it's been documented, the behind the scenes mm -hmm. of, of the acquisition and, and how David swallowed Goliath? Yeah, let me tell you how it happened. So one of the things, and, and maybe just to level set a little bit, this was a it was a big acquisition, I think, for us, but also for any company. We spent over half a billion dollars um, to make the acquisition. And we spent close to, I mean, we actually spent over a year chasing it. Wow. And, uh, and probably about six months in true sort of diligence and understanding the business and making sure we could line up financing for it. But one of the things that I've said a lot, or one of the things that I've learned, so I am I'm 36 now, so I've been at this, at this company now for almost 13 years. And the business is now... Uh, over $350 million in annual recurring revenue. We have 1,000 employees. They're across three continents. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Because you and I, tenure-wise, running our companies, we're about the same. We need we need to go celebrate our 13-year anniversary together because mine's <laughs> June. Um, yep. we're, we're just under your revenue, Henry, just just by a couple decimal places. We're, we're just under your revenue. But no, that's phenomenal. Let me let you continue, but congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I, I, thank you. And um, I think, you know, we've been very lucky. We started the business at the right time. We hired really great people who helped us scale. But I think one of the things throughout that period of time that I've learned is you really have to listen to your business. And I found I found that there are a couple there there are key ways that I I listen to the business. One, I'm pretty operational, and so I'm in the weeds in what we're doing on in marketing. I'm in the weeds on what we're doing on sale on the sales side and the finance side and the engineering side and the product side. I think if you went around the company of a thousand employees and you asked them, you know, is Henry one of those just strategic? leaders or is he a guy who's in the weeds? They'll all tell you Henry's in the weeds. Yeah. And I think the benefit of that for me is that I can hear, I can feel the rhythm of the business and I can tell when things are off. And then I also spend a pretty good amount of time meeting with customers. And so every 
every other month, I'll do a trip to some city and I'll line up eight customer meetings for that day. And I'm understanding sort of how our customers are using our our service, um, where they're seeing deficiencies. I ask them like, hey, if there's one thing we could build, what would it be? And uh, and I remember for for about a year while I was doing these meetings, I would regularly hear this feedback. Hey, we love Discover Org. All of our enterprise and mid-market reps use it. It's really great. It's high quality. It gives us all the insights we need. But we needed more than just what Discover Org does. And so we bought Zoom Info too. And by the way, Zoom Info is pretty good, Henry. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting because historically, you know, my feeling about Zoom Info was that it wasn't the data wasn't that great. But over a year, kind of over and over, at some of my biggest clients, I'd go in, sit down, hey, Henry, thanks for coming in. We love Discover Org. But, you know, your data coverage is not enough. You only have IT and marketing leaders, and we're finding ourselves selling to the business. Your Mm -hmm. profiles only go down to companies with 500 or more employees, and we have a big uh, SMB team that's selling to companies that have 20 to 500 employees, and you don't give us any coverage there. So we're using Zoom Info. By the way, it's pretty good. And then, you know, you go, okay, so now our competitor has found a Trojan horse way into all of our customers. Right. And it's because of our deficiency, right? We didn't build, we, we built for quality, not for quantity. And Zoom Info built for quantity and not particularly for quality. And so we went, look, we're building all this software that cleanses data inside your CRM and marketing automation tools. It appends data in your sales automation tools and your CRM tools. But our customers can't take full advantage of that software because our data doesn't span the coverage that they need. So, hey, I need a tool that appends revenue and employee number and technology stack and NAICS code and amount of funding to every lead that comes into my website. And we have a tool that does that, but you can't rely on it because we don't have enough coverage to get to cover enough of the leads that are coming through your system. And so this just presented a major um, a major issue for our company and uh, a clear hole in our strategy. Yeah. And so we we were pursuing Zoom Info as an acquisition. We had just sort of come off the acquisition of Rain King, which we did in 2017, late right. 2017. It was really successful. Our team, from an M&A perspective, like there's a lot that goes into M&A and a lot of planning and then a lot of post-integration planning and integration. And there's a, there's a whole slew of activities you have to be good at doing. And we had done a couple small acquisitions before Rain King, and then we did Rain King, which was a decent-sized acquisition. Um, there were a 200-employee, $40 million a year company, and, and, we, and we executed pretty well there. Our sort of strategic plan played out. We kept key employees. We integrated the companies quickly. We migrated the customers to a to a specific um, platform in a short period of time. And so we felt pretty confident we could knock out another M&A transaction. And so uh, we Zoom Info was it was owned by a private equity firm mm-hmm. based in Boston. Our private equity folks started talking to um, their private equity folks, saying, "Hey, look, you own this business. We think we can put the two together and really solve major challenges in the market." Um, I think if you're owned by private equity, it almost it, it, 
the way private equity works from an, as an investment vehicle is they buy companies and they tend to keep them for three to five years right. and then they sell them again. And so if you're owned by private equity, it, it, it necessarily means that you're going to be sold again at right. some point in time. Yeah. Um, they had only been owned by private equity for, uh, for about a year when we bought them and so less from when we started chasing them. Um, but we were able to connect with their management team. We were able to connect with uh, the private equity team. It was every sort of question or concern we had about the business. Uh, in the six months of diligence, we were able to check off. Uh, we built a plan for how you brought these two businesses together. And I think probably one of the really, um, one of the really cool things about the acquisition was Zoom Info was really strong in all the areas that Discover Org was weak, and Discover Org was really strong in all of the areas that Zoom Info was weak. And you don't always get that. And when we when we acquired when we acquired Rain King, we came in and it was like we're we're making this acquisition. We're the acquirer. Um, the way that you're going to market is sloppy, and we're going to fix it with the way that we go to market. Your platform is okay, but our platform is better, so we're going to migrate everybody to it. Like we basically took control of that company, and then brought all of our systems and processes to bear against it. When we acquired Zoom Info, it was much more like a merger. They had 500 employees. We had 500 employees. They were doing a bunch of things better than us. We were doing a bunch of things better than them. And so it was a much different motion to put two like equally sized, well-positioned companies together. Yeah. Um, that was a different motion than like, hey, we're kicking in the door and taking over the company. That actually was a lot easier <laughs> because you came in and you said, look, we get that you guys have built like a, a really successful company here, but let us show you how to do it a little bit better. And with Zoom Info, we came in and said, oh, you guys are doing this better. How do we integrate these teams in a way where we keep sort of the best things of both companies continuing to go and not lose momentum? How do we integrate the cultures? The cultures are different. The people are different. Um, that's a bigger challenge uh, from a from a management and integration perspective than a pure acquisition. For sure. And so we spent seven months doing that. And then just yesterday we announced uh, the release of our new platform. And so we brought everything that's great about Discover Org from a platform and software and data perspective together with everything that's great about Zoom Info into one unique platform that we rebuilt from the ground up over the last seven months. And... Uh, and we're taking that out to market. And then we announced that now we're under one brand name We and we went with the Zoom Info brand name. And so we're all one company. It's all Zoom Info. The platform is Zoom Info powered by Discover Org. Um, it's all in one central place. And so that's kind of, that's the new chapter we've uh, we've embarked on now. Well, congratulations. It's, 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 uh, it's a lot of work. I um, was very young in my career to do an IPO in my 20s. And uh, that was an well, incredible... I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't my company. I ran marketing for the company. But being, I think I was like 26, 27 at the time, being one of Silicon Valley, very youngest VPs and, and doing roadshows and building a prospectus and all that, it was incredible learning curve and super distraction to the day-to-day totally. -day business, right? And then you got yeah. event marketing, like your annual user conference. That's a major 
distraction to the core business and then doing acquisitions, you know, top three, not, not in that order. So it's great that you guys have made the progress that you have and continue. Kudos to you for, for, you know, probably had a lot of brand, uh, brand ego. Nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Ego, yeah. nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so making a decision to, to go with the Zoom Info brand power by Discover Org was, I'm sure, not a, not a simple decision, but sounds like the right decision. So let, let's talk about the new normal then and, and what you guys, um, are bringing to market this week. A quick story as it relates to this. I taught, Myself, I, I taught an ABM workshop a couple of weeks ago. One of the reasons you, you talked about being hands-on. If you if you asked my team about Dave and how hands-on I am, I think you and I are are right there. And I'd love to keep a pulse on the on the business, and I'd like to keep a pulse on the clients. And so I decided to do this ABM workshop because so many people want to go down the journey of ABM and don't really know where to go. And while my team does ABM consulting and workshops and operationalizes ABM, I felt it was time for me to get in there and understand some of the challenges. And the challenges you're going to relate, the um, the framework that we we taught and that we shared with them really starts off with targeting and really um, the educated guesswork that goes into identifying who you're ICP is, who that ideal customer profile is, so that you don't just sit there with sales and say, okay, who do we want to go after? And they rattle off the Fortune 500, right? Because why not pick you know the top 500 companies in the world to go after, right? There's a, there is a science to it. Uh, and by having this workshop and going through an hour of a targeting exercise with them, it really was apparent to me just how difficult it is for companies when you have sales and marketing at a minimum, let alone service in the room, to say who your ideal customer profile is because there's so much subjectivity to it. So once we got through the workshop and we were able to identify you know, some examples to build up the muscle memory, the question came up, how do you do this at scale? How do you do it and how do you operationalize this at scale? So what are your thoughts on that and how does the, the Zoom Info platform deliver a solution that that helps people scale. I'd love to to paint that that picture. Definitely. And so I think maybe one of the things that I find interesting about the hey, who should we target? Everybody says the Fortune 500. You know, once you're a 100 to 200 employee company, almost every company we're talking to that's 200 employees is focused on the same call it 20,000 accounts. Mhm maybe even 10,000 accounts. They're the same 10, 20,000 accounts that every company across the world is trying to sell into. Uh, That doesn't change that much if you're trying to sell like sort of an enterprise software solution or a solution to, to, uh, that's a non like micro SMB solution. You're all selling to the same 20,000 people. And so I think the first step is um, which of those 20,000 people makes sense for me to sell to? That's kind of your ICP uh, strategy, and I'll walk through sort of how we think about that. Yeah. But I think the second, maybe m- even more important piece of it is how do I make resource decisions on which of those companies that fit into my ICP I'm targeting now mm-hmm. or this quarter mm-hmm. or um, are there any events that are happening that would drive – uh, that would drive their need or want of my solution now. And so I'll talk about that and sort of just like using signals to drive um, a ranking or prioritization of your ICP. But I think if you go back 10 years ago and you say, hey, what does your ideal customer profile look like? 
companies will tell you companies would tell you one of three sort of one of three characteristics or all of these three characteristics make that up. I didn't employ employee size, number of yeah. employees, yeah. revenue, um, industry, and that's kind of it. I felt like we should have done Family Feud right there. <laughs> yeah, we should have done you, Family you could, Feud. You could have given me a chance to, to do I was just <laughs> at Beconics in Toronto and I got to play the feud. It was the uh, it was like the thought leaders versus uh, the attendees, and it, it was it was super fun. They did, uh, <laughs> the team at Uberflip did a great job with that. But yeah, the, you know, employee size and industry and, and revenues, and um, and then it became many of us who want to target certain uh, technology profiles, right? They, you know, what technology are they using, and 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 such. So that it's, was like not really. You couldn't get it ten years ago. You could, or if you. If you got it, it would be in a super bespoke way mm-hmm. um, because you read it in a case study or something online. And so you couldn't really do much more than revenue employee and industry at scale. And then if you go kind of a step further than that, um, do you know how many, how many public companies there are in the United States? I don't. I could guess, but I, I don't know the number. What, what would you guess? Public companies? Can I Google public it? Public companies. I, how many public companies in the United States? I don't know, 25,000? Actually, it's significantly less than that. It's only um, 7,300. I mean, there were 7,300 in 1996, and there are only 3,600 today. Wow. So that surprising. actually means surprising. surprising, right? Only 3,600 public companies. So 10 years ago, uh, the, only, the only companies you would have perfect data for revenue, employee, and industry on were these somewhere between 3,600 and 7,300 companies that were publicly traded. Because those are the only companies that were really like publicly putting out there, here's our revenue, here are our employees, and this is which industry you can categorize us in. And so it made it really hard to build sort of a robust prospecting engine using uh, an, an ideal customer profile that had any like real meat. Most of it was guesswork. And I think like you see this rise of ABM happening because people are seeing like, oh, there's a lot of data out there that I can use to drive the way I go to market. Totally. And why aren't I using this data? Um, and the reason you probably weren't or you aren't is that the data was really hard to get at scale. Today, you can go much further, right, than just revenue employee and industry of publicly traded companies. Um, Zoom Info today obviously provides that, but then the long tail of private companies is really where you get you, where you make your, where you make your impact. And so in the United States, there are about a hundred, there are 110,000 companies with over a hundred employees. And that tends to be where most of us play, right? In these mm-hmm. really sort of like 100 employee or more, those 110,000 companies. Mm-hmm. And so what are the criteria or characteristics that are important to you when it comes to selling any company? And then can you capture those characteristics at scale across those 100,000, 110,000 companies? And the way that, that we think about it is the other characteristics that are important and they're static characteristics and they're changing characteristics. So industry probably doesn't change, right? Revenue and employee size does change, but it tends to not change in, you know, year over year in such a dramatic way that you move. Many companies are moving from SMB to mid market to enterprise, right. and so it's you know it's static but change you know changing over time. 
revenue is changing constantly. Um, technographic data. So the technology data. I want to know for 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 Zoom Info. We want to know if a company is using Salesforce. Are they using Marketo? Are they using Outreach or Sales Loft or Zoho? What CRM or marketing or Marketo? What CRM or marketing automation tool are they using? That's important to us. Yeah. And then that is actually static and changing. Right. I want to know what they're using right now, and then I want to know if they're changing it. Mm-hmm. So, are they on Zoho? But we but we know they're switching to Salesforce. Are they on Marketo? And we know they're changing to Eloqua. And so, all of the changes kind of come in the signals, right? So you have this ICP where you go, look, my ICP is is our companies in the software and uh, telecom vertical that have at least 100 employees that are growing um, 10% a year at least and um, have revenue of at least $20 million. And then now I can also layer in and I want to know and they need to be using Salesforce or Marketo. And they it's, it's even more important to me if they've received funding of at least $10 million. Mm-hmm. We can layer that in. Um, and then we can layer in what sort of projects and initiatives are they working on? And so if I find out that of the 100,000 companies in the United States with over 100 employees, if I find out that 100 of them are planning on spending half a million dollars on my type of product or solution, that should re-rank that list in the next sort of six to 12 months, call it. And so I know what my ICP looks like. So I can take my list of 100,000 down to call it 5,000. And then what I'm using signals for is to constantly re-rack that list. And so um, one of the things Zoom Info does is it'll tell you like, hey, these companies got funding. Um, These companies are spending X amount of money on these types of solutions over the next six to 12 months. Um, these companies are surging on intent. Mm-hmm. So they're researching products or solutions, product and solution topics that are relevant to your business. And then that type of data in a perfectly functioning go-to-market engine is, is being delivered into your go-to-market systems to constantly re-rack what you're going after. And that is the way, that is, that is the way we go to market is we build our ICP, we have the data constantly refreshed in our go-to-market systems, and then we're constantly applying insights to those companies so that we're re-racking the priority of who we're calling and when. The, the beauty of being in the business that you're in, it's, it's one of the reasons that, you know, for anyone out there, you know, that it's in marketing, one of the reasons I always recommend, like, go market for a MarTech company, pick, pick a good one, because um, you get to use your own tools, and so for you yep. guys to grow your business by practicing what you preach is, is, uh, is a delight. Um, let's talk about something that's not as delightful because what you just painted was, as I was listening to you intently about um, all those different variables and all those different attributes that you can bring in um, systematically, it, it opened up two uh, potential, well, two real challenges. One is how do you keep your systems in sync, right? So if you're ingesting information, that you're pulling in. And like you said, some of those variables, some of those attributes change at sometimes at a high frequency, sometimes at a lower frequency, you got to keep your systems in sync. And then part two of that is how do you append the data in, in real time, right? These are challenges that my team works with clients on a regular basis. What do you, what do you hear from your clients and how are you guys are approaching those two challenges? 
Yeah. So first of all, that's a real chat. It's a real challenge. Um, and I think the companies, the best companies, the modern go-to-market enterprises are solving that. They're bringing in much more technically savvy people on their sales operations teams, on their marketing operations teams. They're bringing in teams to kind of create the foundational data that's going to be used by sales and marketing to go to market. Um, one of the way, I mean, the key way that we do it is we actually built a solution that plugs into your CRM or your marketing automation tools or your sales automation tools and just in real time keeps that data in sync. Yeah. And so as data is changing, you know, we're, we're constantly updating and cleansing our database. And so as we're making those changes, when we find that a person has left their job or their email bounces or they got a new phone number or revenue changes at a company or employees, you know, they lay, you know, Uber today laid off 400 employees. That's going to change the, the employee count. As all of these things are constantly in flux and changing, we're in real time making those changes in our database and then plugging and then because we've wrapped our tool around our customers go to market systems we're making those changes in real time as well yeah. into their systems and just for everybody listening when i describe that my team helps our clients with that so one of the things that we do uh take take um what what henry's providing to you in terms of like you can see this this path right you've got a database that being zoom info that has all this data and that data is flowing into the crm so we create a data dictionary between the CRM and the marketing automation system. And in that data dictionary, there's, there's really strong governance that says and, and policy on which fields should be synced up because you don't want to sync all of your information between your CRM and your marketing automation. It's actually easy to sync everything and it's absolutely the wrong thing to do for all kinds of system performance issues and just, just overhead and cost. So you've got to say, okay, what are the absolute fields that need to be synced between these two systems? And when these fields change in CRM, at what frequency should those updates be pushed to marketing automation? Because if you're doing personalization or segmentation or even ABM, you're going to need some of that data brought over. So you've got to create a map of all these different data chains and really think it through. And if you take it too casually and carelessly, uh, you're going to run into some some major performance issues as well as just not knowing what your system of record is in the, in the flow. And documentation is absolutely critical for this because who's ever doing it today is probably not going to be doing that role one, two, three years from now. And, and it's really hard to look in these systems and do that. So when I say that our team does that a lot, Henry, that's, that's what we do is really blueprint out all of that data flow and documentation of what goes into where and when it gets updated and then activate it and test the hell out of it to make sure that the syncs and, and everything is keeping up to date so that you do good marketing and, and you yep. have the data that you need. Especially with now everyone bolting on all the ABM tools, you, you, it's just that much more critical to have this information at an account level and then what you need at contact and leads. And I do want to talk about that too because we're talking about a lot of firmographic information, but that's clearly not where you guys um, stop. You guys go down uh, deeper than that and people, you know, B2B is not really B2B. It's B2I at the end of the day. There's individuals that you're yeah. marketing to. I should, uh, and I'll get to that. I, I, I'll give you a good analogy on um, that one of my, we, we had a, Years ago, our marketing auto automation um, manager left. We hired a new marketing automation manager. He came in, and he was like six weeks into the job, and he said, you know what I feel like is that I'm cooking in somebody else's kitchen. Hmm. Yeah. And I'll never forget that because I told – it's just like it, it sort of perfects – 
that analogy. You get a new marketing automation manager in, and they don't know where anything is. No. You know, where are the spoons? Where are the pots? Where are the spices? Everybody has their own sort of like weird organization of those things. And obviously, what? And then, I'll, and then I'll I'll give you your analogy. You come in and you clear that all up, right? You. You organize it in a systematic way so that anybody coming in can go, oh, yeah, this makes sense. The spices are over here and the pans are over here and here's a map of where everything is. And so it's really simple and it's it uses terms that everybody understands. At my house, uh, we, we recently brought in an organizer from a company called Neat, nice. um, which basically comes in and organizes your kitchen or your pantry so that everything makes sense. And so now when you go into my kitchen, it's really clear where everything is. It's not that confusing. And there's a map for what's in the pantry and what are in, what are in the cupboards. And I think like now anybody can come into my kitchen and have no problem cooking. And that's what you do for when you're doing that mapping exercise for your customers. That's what you do. You make it so that anybody can come in to a, to a Marketo environment or an Eloqua environment and go, okay, yep, I get it. This this, these are where the pans are. This are this is where the the where the pots are, and I can cook yeah. right away, and you don't lose any of that speed. Yeah, and get and get things performing better better too. We've got a client over just in South San Francisco, and they've had Marketo for probably about a decade now, eight years, and it's just. Wow. It's it's just messy. It's got there's yep. been a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's been you know, to use use your analogy uh, and. Um, we're just unscrambling all that. And sometimes, most of the time, we can get to a place where we've tidied everything up and organized it. It's so funny, by the way, that you mentioned about NEAT um, because Jenny Hay, shout out to Jenny Hay from Adobe, was with me a couple of weeks ago at that workshop. And that was her, before she was at Adobe, way back, she she was a, um, she helped uh, organize people and, and did it for celebrities. So there you go. That's, that's, a, that's a job <laughs> for some people. Um, so we can organize that stuff, but we've also done, Henry, a lot in the past year, couple of years, in complete reboots. So we've done like, uh, we, we call them project clean slate, where we are taking a Salesforce instance and basically recreating it in a new instance, just bringing over what still needs to be there, but really shit canning the, the old one. And we've done that a lot for marketing automation system, because at some point it's, you just need a, a kitchen renovation. Like you can't just yep. tidy things up. You just got to knock it down and, and redo it. Um, let's continue though. Let's talk about contacts and, and individuals and, um, because you don't sell to businesses, you do sell to individuals, but you got to know, you know, what, what companies to, to target yep. and, and who to go after. What so do you see let's say, yes. Yeah, so now I have my ideal customer profile. I know what the customer, like the company looks like, but I think the, the, the next sort of obvious step is, so who are the personas within those companies that I'm selling to? And so, you can be really tight on that and then go broader. So let's say you're selling an application security solution. Your personas are going to be CIO, VP of IT, VP of information security, director of information security, senior security engineer, whatever that might be. So you build all that out. And then if you're doing, if you're being really exacting with that, you have specific messaging for all of them. Mm-hmm. And you, when you're talking to a senior security engineer or you're messaging to a senior security engineer, you're doing that differently than when you're messaging to the CIO. And you're building sort of a message map for all of that. So I know the companies. 
I have my personas and it's all about just linking that together now. So now I've got the companies, I have the personas and there's a signal that comes through that says, Hey, these 30 companies have gotten funding of over $30 million in the last 90 days. And now I have messaging around funding, around the types of people that I'm reaching out to, around the types of companies I'm reaching out to, their industries, what their technology stack looks like, the fact that they're growing. And I can be much more precise with my outreach. And that really makes all the difference. Being able to bucket and segment your companies by those criteria and then taking it a step further to say, and now when I reach out to these specific people at these companies, I'm going to reach out with this specific type of messaging because Mm -hmm. I've message mapped to what their pain points are. And being able to do that at scale, I think that is the the holy grail of ABM. Love it. I had a question for you about the vendor space and and uh, what's happened recently. We've seen some acquisitions happen by, I would say, unexpected companies, right? You found these great synergies. You're kind of like, hey, if we can't beat them, buy them, right? And, and bringing two great tastes that go great together. By the way, I think that's a trademark infringement, but uh, <laughs> I said it, not you. Um, what are your thoughts about some of the other uh, data providers and, and companies in the ideal customer profile space, if you will, um, leaving or exiting or the consolidation. Any any yeah. thoughts on that? Because the reason I ask is, look, you guys are now the 800-pound gorilla in the space and you're crushing it and you're growing uh, and you're doing really well. Everyone can see that optically and you'll continue on that trajectory. You've, you've gone through that you know, Gartner's uh, troth of, of disillusionment, right? So you're you're winning and yet others that have um, solutions in this space and even some unique and proprietary technology that was very yep. whiz bang, um, yep. has, has pivoted. What are you, what are your thoughts about it in terms of what's happening in the space? Yeah. So I think, look, if you went back, call it five years, this whole concept of predictive lead scoring was all the rage. Um, and so there were lots of companies popping up that are just not around anymore that were selling this concept of being able to help you rank the leads that come in so you're focused on uh, the, right, the right leads. But they were kind of designed the wrong way. They were designed in a way that said, hey, if you're getting a lot of leads, we can take those lots of leads and tell you which ones you should focus on by you know, applying machine learning and AI to all the leads that are coming through. Well, I'll tell you, I don't meet a lot of companies who say like, Henry, do you know what my big problem is? I have too many leads. I just have too many of them. And I don't know what to do with them. Which ones do I focus on? Like there are some companies that have that issue, right? They're, they tend to be freemium services. So like I'm sure Atlassian has that issue or Adobe probably has that issue where lots of people sign up and it's hard to tell which ones are real and which ones are not. But the vast majority of companies have the opposite issue. They're like, I, I don't have enough leads. I don't have enough prospects. I haven't built a big enough pipeline. And that's just a different problem to solve. And the predictive space came at it through the lens of how do I take all the leads that you have and help you understand which ones are most most likely to close. And I think the way that we've always come at it is you don't have enough leads. Let me give you a bunch of leads. Let you segment and filter those leads down to the specific 
types of people and companies that you want to focus on. And then you get, you engage with those leads. And so those, I, I don't think like really any of those solutions got true um, traction. Um, and they all kind of topped out at call it 150 ish customers uh, because they were solving, in my opinion, um, a problem that didn't really exist. And that'll keep happening, right? Like there are a handful of vendors still remaining in this space and they will either consolidate or uh, disappear. Yeah. Well, and you know, as behind the scenes, you and I, you know, making some introductions, some connections of some companies that I think are really good synergistically with what you guys are doing because we, we launched a data MD service I mentioned to you earlier this year. We wanted to help our clients get their data clean and keep it clean. And that yep. was the initial focus. That's the pain killer that we want to provide to our clients for all kinds of reasons. We want to make sure that first first of all, you forget just duplicates, there's triplicates and whatever words come yep. after that that is like multi, <laughs> multi, multi records of the same. And you can't do good marketing if you have all that duplication of your contacts and leads and accounts. You've also got to make sure that they're all connected and then you have to keep it clean. Um, and and your expertise is in enrichment and routing uh, and and that area. So I really want to make sure that DemandGen provides that full data solution for our clients because let's face it, most companies we you mentioned the size companies that we all want to attract, and we have tons of enterprise and mid market clients. And even in those those mark those markets, they don't have all the internal data expertise. They don't have data scientists and data analytics folks on on board. And they want to rely on agencies like us to help them solve those challenges. And we couldn't do it without great platforms and great tools. So we've been saying, hey, listen, don't go buy the Martech. Come to us. We'll we'll do it as a service and use powerful tools. And it's been it's been really well received, Henry. And we're just getting started. We haven't even really done our, our go to market on the service, just just in pilot uh, mode. So. Um, I'm, I'm glad the teams are working closer and closer uh, together. I know that you've, thank you very much for setting up some some new enablement uh, for us so we can go uh, dive deeper into the tools. And if if people haven't checked out Zoom Info, you, you haven't rebranded the URL yet. I don't know when the new site launches, but I imagine that's coming now that uh, it's it's official. When, when do you make the flip? So actually, if you go to the zoominfo.com website, it's completely rebranded and redone. Um, for the time being, we're keeping the Discover Org site up, but gotcha. at some point um, soon, we'll redirect the traffic that goes to Discover Org to Zoom Info. Nice. How do people learn more? If they, what, what, as someone who is close to customers, you've seen so many people that you got onboarded. I know that you guys offer. I wouldn't call it, well, maybe call it free trials, ways to check out the data and get samples. Yes. Is, that, is that what you think is the best thing for people to discover, discover, pun, in, pun intended? <laughs> totally. So uh, if you go to zoominfo.com, there's a free trial button. You can click that button and we'll set you up with a free trial and you can you can get as many people on your team uh, poking around the data and getting a feel for what our platform offers. Uh, so zoominfo.com, there's a free trial uh offer right on that right on that page and look i'm on linkedin so connect with me on linkedin again my name's henry shuck pretty easy to find there it's just s-c-h-u-c-k uh, i'm on twitter henry l shuck 
uh, at Henry L. Shuck. So um, I'm available through all of those means, or my email is pretty simple. If you're a Zoom Info customer, you can just look me up in there. Otherwise, it's just my first name, not my last name at zoominfo.com. So I'm happy to engage with any of your, your listeners around this, or at least get them the right people internally. And I'll tell you, you know, my true belief is that every modern enterprise is going to go to market with data at the core of how they do that. They're do- a lot of them are doing it now. Many more will be doing it in a year. And just about everybody will be doing it in five years. And the sooner you are going to market that way, the more of an advantage you have. And so if you're hearing this now and you're thinking like, oh, I should be, uh, I should be going to market using insights and data and building an ideal customer profile, do it now before all your competitors beat you there. You have an opportunity right now to be ahead of the curve, but it's not going to last that long. Love it. And thank you. You and your team are always very, very approachable. Good, good partners. And it's great to have you back on the program a little bit over a year later. Congrats on, on all the, the progress and the invitation for people to check, uh, it out. Um, I appreciate that, uh, just exposing, you know, powerful tools and it's like, uh, Spider-Man, another, another trademark infringement, right? With, with great power comes great responsibility. And these tools are incredibly powerful when used and used, used properly. Uh, there was a previous podcast, I think it's aired previously where I talked about mean tweets, you know, on, on SNL, I was, I I said, I'm going to do a new segment called daddy daughter text. Um, (laughs) and, and you missed that one, but it was about uh, my youngest daughter, Audrey, who's finishing up her senior year at SDSU. And she's texting me about, Hey, will you teach me? analytics and data because it sounds like there's a lot of money in those roles. And so I think for everybody listening, um, if that's what they're teaching in the colleges, yeah, you know this. And so if you're, you know, if you're bored or looking for new challenges in terms of your roles inside organizations, I really recommend you start dabbling uh, in and learning these tool sets and checking out what the power of these capabilities are. Because as you said, Henry, you know, those who understand data and how to use it to apply uh, great marketing, great sales, great growth, that is a, it's like going back to uh, your, your um, kitchen metaphor. It's, it's a secret recipe. And if you've got the expertise, it's, it's worth its weight in gold for sure. Um, huge, huge demand for that expertise. So if you're looking for new challenges, new areas to, to develop some new muscles, um, go for it. I think it's, I think it's important. It's here to stay. It's the basis for all digital marketing and all digital sales. And that's the world that we, that we live in. Well, thanks again. Appreciate it. Give my best to the team. And for all of you tuning in, I'm going to make another request that if you have a moment, just takes a moment. And I so appreciate it. I've got a personal goal to get to 60 reviews by the end of the year. If you wouldn't mind going to iTunes and giving just a little Apple review, why do I ask for it? Because it really helps provide a tremendous amount of visibility for the program. So thank you. If you're listening to the program regularly and you think it's worth a star or two, or maybe four or five, uh, if you could just click in there and do that, that'd be huge. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Or leave a review if you want to write some words either way. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And Henry, thanks again. And uh, to everyone, I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 